And we start the show with a buzzard message. Buzzard writes in, I guess your boy Jeremy McNichols can't pass block. Fantasy Mansion fails again. That's right, I failed again. I failed again. I failed again. And I will continue to fail over and over and over and over and over again. Why will I fail consistently? Because I have strong sports opinions about most players in the league. If there's a fantasy viable, fantasy relevant player, odds are I have expressed a strident opinion one way or another about that player's quality, about that player's projected fantasy football output for the following season. That's just how I roll. Sure, I could start every sentence with a caveat, a softener. I think that this player might. I think that this player could, but I don't do that. We leave it to the other analysts. That might be it for Marquez Wilson. Remember? Might be? I wasn't wrong. He roared back somewhere else. No, I will be proudly wrong. I will be wrong frequently throughout the season. And as I am being wrong, I will swagger. I am a swashbuckling fantasy football analyst. And I'm one of the few. I am one of the few who consistently gives strong opinions with conviction. It's something that is missing across the fantasy football landscape. Conviction, bravado, self-assured, definitive positions on players. No softeners, no caveats, no mites, no coulds. Just what I think will happen and why I think it will happen. I can have conviction in my positions because they are backed by data. They are not backed by feelings. They are not backed by what I read some guy saw on film. They're backed by hard evidence-based analysis. The information I use to support my arguments is derived from a quantitative underpinning. Things we can measure. That's where the confidence comes from. But of course, we can't measure everything. And we're not in the film room with players and coaches. And we're not on the practice field every day with players and coaches. And we're not in on the meetings that coaches are having with general managers. Because that's what happened to Jeremy McNichols. His fate was decided in a meeting that he had with a doctor where he postponed his shoulder surgery. Had it after the combine, which prevented him from participating in minicamp. And because he missed a lot of camp time, he was behind. And then he tried to play catch-up during the preseason, and he failed because he was overwhelmed. That's understandable. If he had had his shoulder surgery in January, he would have missed the combine. He may have been drafted in the 6th or 7th round, perhaps gone undrafted. But I believe that if he had opted for immediate shoulder surgery, that he would be on an active roster today. He's too good of a player to just wash out of the league. I think he would have latched on. But this is the sliding doors effect that we see perpetually in the NFL as a player's career is determined by a twist of fate as we have seen already with Jeremy McNichols. But get out of here with the pass-blocking fallacy. Get out of here with the pass-blocking fallacy. Pass-blocking is not a reason to keep or cut a player. I mean, the amateur film grinders on Twitter think that it is. They love to post gifs of players whiffing on pass-blocks and insist 
on social media that these players aren't going to make the team because they can't pass block or they're a liability when they're not a liability. Every NFL running back misses a pass blocking assignment at some point, and many NFL running backs are not optimally deployed as pass protectors ever. How often do you see Theo Riddick pass block? Rarely, and yet he's in on most passing downs. He's playing. Why? Because the Lions know that Theo Riddick is not an effective pass blocker. And it doesn't matter. A running back always has a choice on any given passing down. They can either pass block or flare out in the passing game for a catch. So you can either step forward and block a blitzing linebacker, or you can flare out and become the quarterback's hot read. So if you're an offensive coordinator and you have a light satellite back, like a Theo Riddick, you just draw up pass protection schemes, and blitz pickup assignments that do not include the running back and always feature the running back as a hot read option for those quick hitters as the quarterback gets rid of the ball in the face of pressure. So it doesn't matter if you can pass block or not. If you're a great pass blocker and you're not a great receiver, well, the coach will opt to have you pass block to give the quarterback extra time, and that's one less hot read that the quarterback will have in his read progression. It's not hard to figure out. So it's a false choice that the amateur football analysts believe coaches have to make. They don't. All the running backs at team rosters can be bad pass protectors, and that's just fine. The team will be just fine. Every year, we have to have this pass-blocking fallacy discussion to educate the buzzard community around the show. So many of you lack long-term memories. You can't remember what happened six months ago. You can't remember what I talked about a year ago. It's like it never happened. Zero long-term memory also applies to running backs like Jeremy McNichols. It just shows how shallow the intellect is. So many football fans, how weak the memory is, how unwilling the football fan is to think critically. So many droning zombie sports fans out there that listen to this show. I thought we had chased them all away with torches, but they continue to shuffle toward the show. (laughs) Banging into the cage around the show that I have to erect to protect myself from you people. I mean, you don't remember Fred Jackson? Fred Jackson, who took years to finally make an active roster. Just hanging around practice squads, getting invited to camp, but he had that Jeremy McNichols skill set. Requisite size, great burst, and he excelled in the passing game. A great route runner with great hands, but he came from a small college, co-college. And NFL rosters are relatively small. Can only accommodate three running backs. Oftentimes, that's one of these all-purpose fullback types, like a Kyle Juszczyk. You have special teamers you have to keep on the roster, and then you have your established incumbent. There's very few open roster spots for the new running back that comes down the pipeline. It's a musical chairs exercise, and sometimes a good running back doesn't have a chair to sit in, and that's what we saw this past week with Jeremy McNichols. It's not hard to figure out. Why are so many of you so dense? We will see Jeremy McNichols resurface on an NFL roster. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Where was Mike Gillisley three years ago? He was with the Dolphins. 
Who remembers that? And what happened? The Dolphins let Mike Gillisley walk out of the facility, and now he's coveted by the Patriots. That was three years ago. And it happens all the time. The best example is Tim Hightower. He was out of the league for three years, and he was a faint shadow of the athlete that Jeremy McNichols is. Very few NFL running backs have the pass-catching capabilities, route running in the hands, and the explosiveness in space that Jeremy McNichols possesses. I am sure that he will find his way onto a running back depth chart sooner rather than later and make an impact at the NFL level. Just like Mike Gillisley, just like Danny Woodhead, just like Alfred Morris, just like Fred Jackson. But go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Just assume that beat reporters that follow the Buccaneers are experts. Yeah, assume that they are the apex football minds across the sports media landscape. It doesn't get any smarter than the guys following the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Really? Really? Is that what you're going to do now? You're just going to regurgitate what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat reporter says? Because that's what I get on Twitter. Just copy and pasting Tampa Bay beat reporter analysis, holding me accountable, the accountability buzzards, doing the world a great service. Yes, that's what we need right now in the world. You regurgitating Tampa Bay beat reports back to me as if I haven't read them. So you're helping absolutely no one. You're just trying to make yourself feel smart, but you're not. You are a shallow, weak-minded individual who cannot think for himself and has no memory of the legions of running backs that were waived at one point in their career and came back to have productive NFL careers. Or some of you are coach worshipers. Yes, the coach worshiper. You have to be a coach worshiper to mock Jeremy McNichols. Because why? Because, oh, well, the Buccaneers evaluated him and they determined that he's not a true NFL running back. He's not an NFL-level talent. Bucks coaches are infallible talent evaluators, aren't they? Aren't they? I mean, they, they're not wrong about anybody. Most teams rarely fail at self-scouting, right? Right? Teams know what they have on their rosters. They understand the intrinsic qualities of every player that they have in camp, right? Right? Because remember, who else was in Miami? Chris Hogan. And Miami let Chris Hogan walk. And Chris Hogan will be a major contributor for the best team in the NFL this season. But go ahead. Go ahead. Just assume that the self-scouting of NFL teams is optimal. That NFL coaches are infallible. And just regurgitate what those coaches say to the beat reporters and then what the beat reporters post on their blogs. Go ahead. That sounds like a worthwhile endeavor. Buzzards. We're going to bring on Joe Dolan from FantasyGuru.com. I'm going to talk to him about the accountability buzzard. Ask him what his thoughts are on the accountability buzzard. I just can't wait for Jeremy McNichols to find his way onto an NFL roster and one day be named the starter. Because when that day happens, I'm going to play Jeremy McNichols on No Halftime. So go to NoHalftime.com now or search for No Halftime in the App Store. The beauty of No Halftime is it allows you to set up prop bets with your friends or accept prop bets that strangers have posted. And you yourself can post prop bets on No Halftime. It's unlimited. It's really a beautiful thing. I've always wanted a platform like this that allows individuals that feel strongly about a player to get together in a community to find those that want to take the other side of the proposition. I love Jeremy McNichols if and when he's ever playing. And with no halftime, I can find someone who's willing to take the other side of that proposition. So go to no halftime now, set up an account, use the promo code UNDERWORLD when you do, 
and get an instant 50% bonus up to $50. Again, use that promo code UNDERWORLD with your first deposit on no halftime. So I was not surprised when Jeremy McNichols was released. He was struggling throughout camp, and he missed minicamp, rehabilitating his shoulder. We saw this coming. We talked to Evan Silva about it. It was inevitable. So I'm not butthurt about Jeremy McNichols getting released. You can stop harassing me on social media about it. Yes, I was wrong. Before the draft, I liked Jeremy McNichols more than Dante Foreman, who's done nothing, by the way. We've yet to see Dante Foreman excel at the NFL level. We will see how good Dante Foreman actually is. But I'm trending wrong, very wrong, thinking Jeremy McNichols is a more impressive talent than Dante Foreman. But this is a long game. And this is why I like Dynasty, because it allows us to play the long game and to see these players' careers play out in front of us over years so we can see exactly who these players are, who they ultimately show themselves to be on an NFL football field. And there's a lot of time between now and the end of Jeremy McNichols and Dante Foreman's career. That was pre-draft. Now, after the draft, I still had Jeremy McNichols ranked ahead of Joe Williams. And I haven't heard anyone coming out and saying, congratulations, you had Jeremy McNichols ahead of Joe Williams, because it looks like Jeremy McNichols is going to outperform Joe Williams over the course of their respective careers. In fact, Jeremy McNichols just signed with the San Francisco 49ers, so it looks like Jeremy McNichols will rush for more yards and touchdowns this year for the San Francisco 49ers than Joe Williams. No attaboys for me on that one, though. Calling the demise of Joe Williams very early on. We also talked about how Aaron Jones is a better running back than Jamal Williams, and we're starting to see that. The second half of preseason, you noticed Aaron Jones making a lot more plays than Jamal Williams. It's only a matter of time before Aaron Jones takes over as the number two running back behind Ty Montgomery in Green Bay. And while Jeremy McNichols was being released, there were some trades. The Steelers traded Sammy Coates to the Cleveland Browns. That was thought to be the most impactful of the cut deadline trades, but I disagree. I think Sammy Coates is a lesser player than Ricardo Lewis and Kaysen Williams. I would rather have Ricardo Lewis in Dynasty. Ricardo Lewis runs a 4-4-3 at 6-2-2-15, so that's a 113.2 94th percentile height-adjusted speed score, and he has a 90th percentile burst score, great catch radius. And he was relatively productive at Auburn. Not a mega producer, but his college dominator exceeded 30% on a low-volume offense. The late breakout's the biggest concern. But Ricardo Lewis has been praised repeatedly by his coaches. He essentially won that number five wide receiver job over Rashard Higgins, who was a mega producer in his own right at the college level. So that was impressive that Ricardo Lewis could marginalize Rashard Higgins. So the Browns were interested in keeping Ricardo Lewis. The Steelers were not interested in keeping Sammy Coates. It just turns out Sammy Coates can't play. We have a lot of athletic specimens that come into the NFL, and they just can't play. Unlike Ricardo Lewis, Sammy Coates' college dominator was below 30%. Sammy Coates is a bit better athlete, but it doesn't matter. If he can't focus and catch the ball in traffic, if he can't reel in deep passes, what good is a 4-4-3? What good is a 135.2 97th percentile burst score if you can't convert passes 
on the field when called upon. If you can't do that, you can't play. You're not going to be on an NFL roster for long. I think Sammy Coates will be released before the end of the season. And I think Ricardo Lewis could eventually emerge as the number three receiver in Cleveland. And I'm excited about him. If it's not Ricardo Lewis, it's not going to be Sammy Coates. It's going to be Cason Williams. Because Cason Williams demonstrated great on-field efficiency and productivity in the preseason. Now, he wasn't a college mega producer. Wasn't very efficient at the college level. Not an athlete. You know, 100.4 Spark X score on playerprofiler.com. That's 35th percentile. His best comparable player, Jared Boykin. But one of the reasons why his dominator was low is because he was competing for targets at Washington with players like first round pick John Ross. So you can rationalize away some of the underwhelming production that we saw from Cason Williams at Washington. What's impressive is his preseason performances. I'm willing to take a flyer on a guy who is at least performing in preseason because even though he's not athletic, he was producing at some level of NFL football in a way that Sammy Coates was not. So if I'm ranking the fringe wide receivers in the Cleveland Browns, it goes Ricardo Lewis, then Cason Williams, then Sammy Coates. Another trade was Philip Dorsett. That was a bad-for-both-teams trade. The rare bad-for-both-teams trade. I haven't seen a bad-for-both-teams trade in a long time. But it was bad for both teams. Here's why. The Colts acquired a quarterback that can't play in Jacoby Brissett. He is a novelty-item quarterback. That is it. That is all. He has no use in the NFL. Zero. The Patriots acquired a wide receiver they can't use. Because Philip Dorsett has not played on special teams since his time at Miami. And when given opportunity to produce in Indianapolis, what did he do? He face-planted routinely negative production premium, negative target premium, 55.9% catch rate, 69th in the NFL, and his 8.5% drop rate was top 10 in the NFL last season. So all Philip Dorsett does is underperform his athleticism at the professional level. And that is the biggest indictment of a wide receiver. There's not a lot of difference between Philip Dorsett and Sammy Coates. These are exceptional athletes that have not been able to convert their exceptional athleticism into on-field production and efficiency. That is the most egregious red flag we have at playerprofiler.com. The Colts are walking away from Philip Dorsett a first-round pick after just two years. Remember, the Philadelphia Eagles have stuck with Nelson Aguilar, who's been even less efficient than Philip Dorsett. The fact that the Colts, who do not have a number three wide receiver of consequence on the roster, it's Kamar Aiken and Chester Rogers. The fact that a team with such a thin wide receiver depth chart is giving up on a player they drafted in the first round two years ago is a stinging indictment of Philip Dorsett. Now you might say, well, you just got done talking about how, well, you know, teams make mistakes. Yeah, sure. With fifth round picks, absolutely. They do not give them opportunities to succeed. They don't see enough of them during camp and teams end up cutting players that are a lot better than they think. That happens all the time at the NFL level. And I believe that's what happened with Jeremy McNichols, but that's not what happened with Philip Dorsett. He had chances he logged an 85% snap share last season, and he was targeted only 59 times, and he converted only 33 receptions in 15 games with an 85% snap share. That's almost a riddle how a receiver with that kind of usage can produce so little. So in the case of Philip Dorsett, I trust the sentiments of the Indianapolis coaches. They wanted nothing more to do with Philip Dorsett. They gave him his clipboard and said, we're done here. 
They called around the league, and the Patriots bit. They looked at Philip Dorsett on playerprofiler.com. They saw he was best comparable to Brandon Cooks. And just like the droning zombie fantasy gamer, they thought, oh, 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 he's just as athletic as Brandon Cooks. They must be the same player. I'd love to acquire a second Brandon Cooks for our third-string quarterback. Push the button on that deal every day and twice on Sunday. You can see the Patriots doing this, getting excited. I can't believe the Colts gave us Philip Dorsett. What a steal. Not a steal. It's a value trap. And what do I mean when I say value trap? When I say value trap, I mean they were suckered into using an active roster spot, a precious roster spot on their 53-man roster on a player that can't play football. That's a value trap. Because the opportunity cost of rostering Philip Dorsett is you have to release Austin Carr. And Austin Carr, the Patriots' slot receiver of the future, goes to New Orleans. So now New Orleans has their slot receiver of the future. Two years from now, it'll be Michael Thomas at X, it'll be Willie Sneed at Z, and it's going to be Austin Carr at Y in one of the ideal wide receiver talent configurations in the NFL. I just hope Drew Brees is there to enjoy it. So the Patriots should have simply let Jacoby Brissett go. The Colts should have simply let Philip Dorsett go or retain him and try to convert him into a special teamer. Whatever. At the end of the day, both teams lost. And the Patriots most of all because they let Austin Carr, a player with a 95 percentile college dominator, a doppelganger of Cooper Cup, slip through their fingers. They will regret this two years from now. All Patriots fans are going to regret this Philip Dorsett acquisition and the butterfly effect that ensued and forced the team to release Austin Carr. Now, the one trade that happened that I think will have the biggest fantasy impact at the roster cut deadline, that was the Rams acquiring Derek Carrier. I love Derek Carrier. Go to his profile on playerprofiler.com. And you'll see across the board, burst score, agility score, speed score, 84th percentile or above. Derek Carrier can play football. How do we know? At Beloit College, 66th percentile college dominator. What? Like, what? How is it even possible? I had to do a double take when I saw that. What? No one posts a 66th percentile college dominator unless you're Demarius Thomas at Georgia Tech or Vincent Jackson at Northern Colorado. But sure enough, Derek Carrier, playing wide receiver, dominated the receiving yards and touchdowns at Beloit College. He's awesome. He's a proper move tight end. And who's he competing with? Rookie Gerald Everett from South Alabama? Really? We think the 6'3", 239-pound tight end from a small school is going to make an impact in year one? Unlikely. What about Tyler Higby, right? Tyler Higby. Tyler Higby has no special characteristics whatsoever on his profile. I mean, go to the Tyler Higby profile on playerprofiler.com and someone give me the positive trait that I'm missing, the missing piece to the puzzle on Tyler Higby, because I don't understand the fascination with Tyler Higby. Never have. Should have been more productive at Western Kentucky. I understand he was competing for targets for a couple of years with Taewon Taylor, and Taewon Taylor is sublime. So you're not going to be the target leader when you're competing with Taewon Taylor, but he should have been more productive, and he's a non-athlete. He's just not that athletic. Just happens to be 6'6", but less than 250 pounds. So he has a low BMI, he's not athletic, and he was not a college mega producer at a small school. Okay, so we have three tight ends on the Rams from small schools. Two of them are new to Sean McVay. One of them is a tight end that Sean McVay trusts. They're all from small schools, 
But Derek Carrier not only has the trust of Sean McVay built in to the equation because Sean McVay coached him at Washington, Derek Carrier also has by far and away the most experience of the three. So who do you think is going to be the most productive tight end for the LA Rams this season? The answer is Derek Carrier. Watch. So you can feel free to play Derek Carrier on draft. Why not? You need a last round pick on draft because on draft, it's DFS snake style. Snake style. Snake style. Snake draft format DFS. That's what draft is all about. And you can join an 8-person league, 10-person league, 12-person league, a 16-person league. So if you're in a 16-person league and you decide to draft tight end with your last pick, you may shock your league mates and go Derek Carrier. Why not? Just go to the app store, download draft, or go online, go to playdraft.com, get the draft app now. And you can draft on your phone. It's quick and easy to set up lineups. And the beauty is everyone in one of these draft contests, these weekly draft contests, has a unique lineup. You're not competing against hundreds of other people playing David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell. Get out of here with that. That's why I believe draft is a revolution. Get draft now. And when you sign up, make sure you use the promo code UNDERWORLD when you do. Now, let's go talk to Joe Dolan, the managing editor of FantasyGuru.com. Follow him at FG underscore Dolan on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld radio program, Joe Dolan. Joe Dolan, this is the managing editor of FantasyGuru.com, a friend of the underworld, Joe Dolan. Talk to me. Matt, it has been, I, I have been waiting for this day for quite some time as an admirer uh, from uh, from a distance of the show, and maybe not so much from a distance, but as an admirer, I am so excited to get going here. We're ready to kick off the regular season. I feel like this is a primo spot on the podcast. Like, oh yeah, it's Tuesday. We're after Labor Day, and we're getting right into it. I mean, I know you're grinding, I'm grinding, and we've got we've got lineups to set this week. This is exciting. Yeah, you're the main guy on Sundays on Sirius XM, right? Doing the play-by-play on Sirius XM Fantasy, Channel 87. Listen to Joe Dolan and Matt Camp, right? Yes, we're on the, the game day show, 1 to 7. Uh, uh, on Sundays, 1 to 7 Eastern, we're, we're basically through the entire first set of games and through most of the second set of games into the third quarter there. Uh, fastest six hours in radio, Matt. And- I love it. Yeah, I love that show because it's just one thing after another, especially if I'm driving miserably, coming home from a birthday party or something, and all I want to do is check my phone or get in front of a computer, and it's late in the fourth quarter with the first set of games, just throw it on Sirius XM, and you guys are just going down through all the touchdowns. Everything is happening. You're flipping from game to game. It's rapid fire. It's amazing. You know, I want to I know how many lives Matt and I have saved by doing that program because the idea is if you're driving, like you said, from a birthday party, you don't have to check your phone. Right. You know, you're not going 75 miles down a freeway and you have to look at your phone to see how your teams are doing. We will get to your we will get to your game. There is no way to uh, for us to quantify how many lives we've saved, but I bet it's in the dozens. No, that is a fun show to listen to, but also a difficult show. It's a high wire act. I've done a few Sirius XM guest spots, guest hosting, but that show is another animal when it's so fast paced. So very impressive. You're just an impressive guy overall. Thank you. Tell my wife. Yeah, 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 right? Yeah. I want to get your take 
first of all, before we start talking about you know the week one matchups and and, and, and some final redraft tips and tricks and and player analysis we had some deadline trades as teams were cutting down to 53 men rosters we saw some movement sammy coates to the browns philip dorsett to the patriots Derek carrier to the rams any of those moves move the needle for you uh none of them really move the needle for me i I guess the dorsett one's interesting matt only from a standpoint of you know he's gonna catch like 30 passes this year but Mm -hmm. he's gonna score like five or six touchdowns and he's going to drive you nuts that week. Uh, Brandon Cooks has a glorious matchup or Chris Hogan has a glorious matchup. And Dorsett gets behind the defense and catches two passes for 100 yards and a couple of touchdowns. That one that one's going to be kind of annoying uh, from my perspective. <laughs> <laughs> the one that I think, though, that really I mean, as of recording, I mean, this could happen today. That hasn't really happened yet is the Jonathan Williams cut in Buffalo. Right. That was a good player in college who played well this preseason. It smelled fishy when they made that cut, um, but it, it, they came out and they said, hey, look, he did everything we asked of him. We, we just decided to move on. I know he has a DUI on his record, but uh, it seems to be an isolated incident. I think Jonathan Williams is somebody that could help out one of these teams out there that's looking for improvement at the running back spot. If I if I drafted Jonathan Williams as a handcuff to LaShawn McCoy, and I'm not terribly into drafting handcuffs, but if I, if I did do that because he was one of the obvious ones and he wasn't terribly expensive, I'd actually be a little hesitant to drop him right now, Matt, because I wonder if he could end up in a spot like Philly or the Giants where they could actually use a young, talented running back. I'd be a little hesitant to drop him right now. But otherwise, despite all the movement that happened, I don't think a whole lot of it, at least as of today, has something that I would consider fantasy relevance to it. Yeah, the Bills just had to keep Mike Tolbert, right? They had to keep Taiwan Jones. I mean, these are exciting talents. These are game breakers. These are guys that can help you win football games. Yes, Mike Tolbert, Joe Banyard, Taiwan Jones. Yeah, great job, Buffalo. Buffalo loves to lose. Just let valuable auxiliary pieces of the roster go. I mean, that's their specialty, right? I mean, if we have a valuable auxiliary piece like a Mike Gillisley or like a Chris Hogan, we're happy to just let them go for nothing or a draft pick down the road. This is just how the Bills do business, and it's not surprising. And we know even if Jonathan Williams isn't claimed, I don't think he was claimed on waivers, and even if he's not signed early in the season, teams need running back help throughout the season always there's always a couple teams that lose three running backs there are teams that will have lost three running backs two months from now and those teams will sign Jonathan Williams type guys and they will get meaningful snaps so I would not be surprised at all if Jonathan Williams sees meaningful snaps in the second half of this season now we saw a player last year start to receive meaningful snaps And all he did was look like one of the best running backs in the league. Certainly the efficiency numbers on playerprofiler.com from yards created per touch to juke rate, evaded tackles per touch, top three across all of those efficiency metrics. Ty Montgomery has now officially been announced as the starter and has the coach's full support in what looks to be a featured back role. What's his upside in that Packers offense? Oh, I think it's sky high, Matt. And and I the thing that I really loved this offseason was the pseudo hype for Jamal Williams. Now, Jamal Williams, I've had this discussion with our guy Graham Barfield at FantasyGuru.com. In watching Jamal Williams and evaluating him, 
I just did not see it with him. I, I thought he was a boring kind of plotter. Yeah, he can block a little bit. He can catch the ball a little bit. But I think those guys are a dime a dozen in the NFL. Right. They're the Robert Turbins of the world. And they're valuable. But You just got done talking about Jonathan Williams. Isn't Jonathan Williams just Jamal Williams? Yeah. I, right. Well, I, well, I think right. he's more talented than Jamal Williams, though. I liked this watching. That's what I'm Jam- saying, though. The between-the-tackles grinders that aren't great in the passing game, they're available always. They're always available. And, and look, Ty Montgomery, this is a guy who had three games last year when he played 50% or more of the snaps. He played it in six games. He was over 20 fantasy points in PPR or on DraftKings, if that's your thing, three times out of those six games when he played over half the snaps. He was an efficiency monster. And if you look at him as a runner, you have to remember, this is a guy who wasn't a running back until midway through last season. And compare his numbers as a runner, just as a runner, to someone like Theo Riddick. Right. He is a better runner than Theo Riddick. I think that it's obvious right now. Now, he doesn't see stacked boxes and all that, but he breaks tackles. He eludes defenders in the hole. And on top of all that, he's catching the ball. Anybody who plays PPR leagues knows how valuable Theo Riddick is. Why, at the bare minimum, can't Ty Montgomery be Theo Riddick in one of the most effective offenses in the modern NFL era? And he's a fourth, fifth round pick. We know he has more upside than that because we saw it as a runner last year. He has like 80 fewer career rushing yards than Theo Riddick. And that's just with one half season as a running back under his belt. Ty Montgomery, Matt, when I'm going... And I know this is something we'll probably talk about a little bit later in the show. When I'm going pseudo zero RB, by that I mean I'll pay up for one guy and then let the chips fall where they may elsewhere. He's absolutely one of my favorite guys as my number one running back. He's in a great offense. I'm not really buying into the guy behind him. We saw what he's capable of last year. It's a huge ceiling, and I think the receiving work gives him a legitimate floor I loved getting Ty Montgomery, and I'm thrilled that he didn't become more expensive throughout the summer because it allowed me a lot of buying opportunities. Yeah, he capped out at the fourth round. He sort of stayed there in stasis because he got injured and there was fear Mm -hmm. around the sickle cell trait. So that really held his ADP in check, but he has top five running back in the league upside. He's certainly a different player than Theo Riddick in that he's not a satellite back only. He's 215 plus pounds, so he's a satellite back plus. And he's a satellite back plus who's demonstrated efficient running between the tackles, outside the tackles, and he's been electric in space in the passing game in his first year playing the position. So we know he's a good football player. So now he's a good football player put in one of the best situations to be a football player, the Green Bay Packers. And this is where fantasy football doesn't have to be hard. You can take players that are established quality players in great situations. It's not hard. And just draft them. <laughs> just, 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 just draft them. You, you just draft them and you can make them the cornerstone of your team. So I, like you, have numerous rosters where my cornerstone running back is absolutely Ty Montgomery. And we saw it last year. Clearly, he was one of those satellite back plus running backs, a pass catcher who was active out of the backfield, was catching a pass, making a guy miss, and then going for 50 yards. You saw that last year, so you know he's a pass catcher, but then you look how big he is. Oh, wait, this guy has bell cow potential. 
So if we're looking beyond Ty Montgomery, who is that satellite back plus this year who could break out like Ty Montgomery did last year? Well, I'm really curious about what's going on in New Orleans. Uh, We had a discussion off air about how Sean Payton essentially hates your fantasy team because they have Brandon Coleman. And I know they cut John Coon, but they're probably going to bring him back. But I was actually really excited, uh, not not because a guy lost a job, but I was excited from my perspective as a fantasy guy about what it meant that New Orleans cut Travaris Cadet because Alvin Kamara is really interesting to me. And we're looking at a guy in Alvin Kamara who I think there was a lot of questions about his role in the NFL. But New Orleans traded a second-round pick next year to get him in the third round this year. So it tells you how much they value him. A guy like Cadet, they cut him. He's been on the roster for like four years. They cut him so they could keep him and Daniel Lasco around. Alvin Kamara was their starting running back in the first two preseason games when they rested Ingram and Peterson, and he actually impressed. I think he did a little bit more between the tackles than people thought he was going to do. And he was consistently available, Matt, in the double-digit rounds late in the summer. I did not expect that to happen because I thought a lot of people would view him as, hey, look, here's this guy who has serious athletic measurables. He produced in the passing game at Tennessee – And he landed in New Orleans, one of the spots where they most effectively use running backs in the passing game. And I thought for sure his ADP was going to rise throughout the summer. But he continued to fly under the radar, even though he impressed in the first two preseason games. Alvin Kamara is the guy I'm really looking at as somebody who maybe you look at him at the end of the year and he's very easily second on that team in running back fantasy points ahead of either Ingram or Peterson, more likely Peterson. And a lot of people are asking, why the hell didn't I draft this guy more? Right. He looks more like Ty Montgomery than Ty Montgomery does. (laughs) Exactly. He's Ty Montgomery South. That's Alvin Kamara. They have the same dimensions, the same stature, similar athletic measurables, similar passing game usage at the college level, often split out and and ran routes out of the slot. That was Ty Montgomery. He was actually a full-blown wide receiver at Stanford, but they treated Alvin Kamara much like a wide receiver at Tennessee. So neither one of these guys were dominant runners at the college level, but they were exceptional in the passing game, and they have just enough size to say this guy can be a featured back in the NFL. They're not Reggie Bush. They're not Theo Riddick. Stop comparing Alvin Kamara to a 200-pound Reggie Bush. Alvin Kamara is 215 pounds. He can absolutely withstand a workload that Reggie Bush could never withstand until he made it to Miami and he had bulked up. So I love that that pick. I love Alvin Kamara late. He's one of those guys. Alvin Kamara and Marlon Mack. Alvin Kamara, Marlon Mack, Marlon Mack, Alvin Kamara. These are guys that are 215 pounds with all-purpose skill sets, that will be in prolific offenses as soon as Andrew Luck is healthy. And they're rookies, and so they're unknowns with ambiguous running back situations, opportunity, the depth chart is in flux in those teams. So that's why they're available later in the double-digit rounds, and, and those are the two guys I'm aggressively targeting in zero RB drafts where I you know, drafted Tom Montgomery, decided to wait on running back, and I'm taking guys that have maximum upside in those double-digit rounds. That's Marlon Mack. That's Alvin Kamara. Now, the Vikings are interesting because I think the Vikings will experience a resurgence, especially in the passing game. Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, Kyle Rudolph, all efficient players last season. Hell, Sam Bradford broke the NFL record for completion percentage. So they all look undervalued to me this year. I expected all 
these Vikings to go at least a round earlier than they have been going in August drafts. Do you agree with that? Absolutely, I agree with that. And I, I actually want to raise another question regarding that. So Diggs, Thielen, Rudolph, I think are all top 10 round picks. Rudolph, by the way, he was the guy who led the league in targets at the tight end position last year, and he's like consistently a seventh, eighth round pick. You know, I like Delaney Walker. I love Delaney Walker and what he's done, but it's amazing how often I see him go ahead of Kyle Rudolph, given what Rudolph did last year, and given the, the questions about what's going down in Tennessee in terms of all the weapons they have now. Right, they've changed the whole landscape of their target totem pole. You don't know who's going to get the red zone targets anymore in Tennessee. Nothing has changed in Minnesota. It's all the same. They're rolling back the same guys. Minnesota stood back and said, we like our roster. We like our guys in these roles. We're running it back this year. We're comfortable. We're confident. We think our entire team, offense and defense, position by position, is underrated. I mean, if you're betting in Vegas, this is one of those teams you bet on to exceed Vegas's total wins over under. The Minnesota Vikings are going to have a resurgence. And that's just not the passing game. It's everybody. It affects everyone. Dalvin Cook may be the best rookie. I mean, you got Kareem Hunt, Dalvin Cook. I think those are the two running backs that are in play to be the most productive rookie running back, unless Christian McCaffrey just goes completely ham this year. I have no idea what he's going to do. I'm excited to see. Yeah. It's, it's certainly possible. It's possible. But all of those players, I think, are more likely than Leonard Fournette to be the most productive rookie running back. So I'm just loving everything that's happening there. And the beauty is, the beauty is, in traditional fantasy leagues that allow trading, you get that immediate reward because you get New Orleans in week one. So you don't have to suffer through a bad matchup in the first couple weeks. You get to draft those Vikings and then immediately see them accrue value after week one. I'm just, I'm tingling thinking about what's going to happen. Well, this this leads me to the question, Matt, that I was actually going to ask about this Vikings offense. Why is Sam Bradford continually going undrafted in leagues? Well, he's not on my, not in my leagues because I'm drafting him in all my leagues. I own him in every expert league. Right, and he's like, my only quarterback because we stream quarterbacks. Yeah. I mean, the last time I checked, there's a podcast called Living the Stream that is one of the most popular podcasts in all of fantasy football. And what do they talk about on that podcast? All they talk about is which quarterback to stream. So why aren't you just drafting Sam Bradford? Spoiler alert. We live in a quarterback streaming world, and the guy you want in week one is Sam Bradford. And he's and his the ADP was like I mean, he basically didn't have one. It was over two hundred in in most leagues. I mean yeah. that that means he's not getting drafted. And you know, spoiler alert: don't want to blow up those guys' spot. It's Sam Bradford this week, and Sam Bradford's your cheap DFS quarterback. Look, I I understand the completion percentage thing last year, seventy two percent of his passes, probably a little bit fraudulent based on all the short passes and all that stuff. He is a cautious quarterback, but he's got weapons. I love having Diggs, I love having Thielen, and I love having Rudolph, and I'm like, all right, if I'm, and I have multiple shares of all of these guys, I, and, yeah. and I actually have Diggs and Rudolph on one of my big teams, and I'm like, you know what, in a good week, that's like 80% of the Vikings passing offense, and I'll take that. Oh, that's the best hedge. You're smoothing out your production. You're going to get a touchdown one way or the other. You're going to get receptions one way or the other every week if you're playing both Diggs and Rudolph together. I love that stack. 
Yeah, and like it's 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 so clear, and we still don't know what Laquan Treadwell can do. If he can catch two passes, he's better than he was last year, right? But these three guys, these three guys, it's all about these three guys. I love being able to zero in on three guys in an offense. Isn't that what we want? We want certainty with the target share distribution. We want that. We have that on so few teams. It's all we do is chase our tail talking about the Patriots. Well, just look at Minnesota. Everything is stable there, and you know what you're getting. It's it's unbelievable. Like you're right, the Patriots. Until Edelman went down, and I finally kind of relented and started to project Cooks closer to his ceiling than I originally had him projected. Right. I mean, Cooks was the most nightmarish player to project this off season. Yes, yeah, so that was a very nebulous projection. Mm-hmm. Everyone's projection was highly speculative of Brandon Cooks because he switched teams. And he switched teams. He switched teams. Eric Decker switched teams. Kenny Britt switched teams. Terrell Pryor switched teams. Alshon Jeffrey switched teams. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know how it's going to break out. I love how so many people are excited about Alshon Jeffrey this week in DFS. And I'm sitting here going, eh? Eh? Yeah, I can see it, but... Maybe. We don't know what Nelson Aguilar is this year. Could he be this year's Devontae Adams? It's very possible. And suddenly Nelson Aguilar's the target leader in week one. We don't know what Torrey Smith's exact role is going to be or what kind of game plan they have for using Torrey Smith. We know that Zach Ertz has 15 target games on his resume. So I'm not sure what Alshon Jeffrey is going to be in an Eagles uniform. In DFS, how about we wait a week? How about we see how it goes in week one for all these guys that switch teams, and especially in cash games, just not play the guys switching teams based on speculative target share projections for week one. You just don't have to be that cute going with the guys, switching teams, and projecting a target share completely out of your ass. Bradford dig stacks. Bradford dig stacks. Stack those guys. Unfortunately, it's Monday night, and the DFS platforms have pulled Monday night from their main slates, and that's just pure greed, and I get it. These are businessmen, but I used to enjoy playing the Monday night guys in a lot of DFS slates, and that's been taken away from us, and I'm bitter about it. That's that's really it. Especially when there's a matchup like this. Right, right. So we talk about Sam Bradford. I mean, Sam Bradford, right? I mean, Sam Bradford has a damaged brand. There's very few players out there that have brands that have been more diminished in the world of football than Sam Bradford. But I appreciate him now. I appreciate him now. I'm starting to feel a little bit of Sam Bradford in my belly. Who's that guy? Who's that player you hated two years ago that you now appreciate? Well, um, this is going to be kind of cheating because I don't necessarily appreciate him this year, but I sure as hell did last year, LeGarrette Blunt, And I hated LeGarrette Blunt years ago because his role was so inconsistent with the Patriots. It was either you got two touchdowns or nothing. But last year, Matt, he was everybody started to hate him. And he was a 16th round pick. He was so cheap and he was a league winner. So LeGarrette Blunt is the player who I think above all last year taught me don't hold grudges if the price is right. So I appreciate LeGarrette Blunt and I appreciate more so than the individual player. I appreciate what he has taught me because I'm not drafting him this year. 
But last year, I, I swallowed my pride and I drafted a player I didn't like at all, and it paid dividends for me. So I, I appreciate what LeGarrette Blunt taught me more so than the player himself this year in Philly. Yeah, the, LeGarrette Blunt taught all of us just get over ourselves, get over this idea that we know these players, that we have this absolute measurement system for player quality. We don't. We're all fallible. We're all guessing to some extent, making educated guesses about how good these players are and thrust into the right situation. Even players that we perceive as not quote unquote good at football. And maybe it's been demonstrated over many years. You put them in the right situation and suddenly, oh, 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 that's a league winner. And so this is part of the reason why I like to stack backfields. Like for example, Frank Gore, Marlon Mack. Or in New Orleans, you draft Adrian Peterson and you draft Alvin Kamara. You know one of Adrian Peterson or Alvin Kamara is going to help you win a league this year. Adrian Peterson could be back. We don't know. Or he could be hurt in week one. We, we just don't know. So this is what I do. I say, hey, I don't know everything, even though on my podcast, it sounds like I think I do. <laughs> it's part of the part of the business. But this is, yeah, right. So acknowledging that I'm going to be wrong a lot, that I am very much fallible. This is why I stack backfields in fantasy. So in a redraft league, a seasonal league, are you finding yourself stacking any backfields, multiple guys on the Patriots, for example, or some other team? Patriots have been really the only team that I've done that with. Uh, I, oh, and Philadelphia, but not with LeGarrette Blount, but I've been doing it with Darren Sproles and Wendell Smallwood. Oh, really? I think that gives you a little bit of an interesting... I, I'm getting a good vibe on Wendell Smallwood, by the way. And maybe not for week one, but down the line, I'm getting a good vibe from him. Um, I didn't do the Murray Henry. I thought that was way too much resources invested. Yeah, Murray Henry and Coleman Freeman were both too expensive. Yeah, but this is this is different than handcuffing, isn't it? Because when I when I view handcuffing, no, this is not handcuffing. This, these are guys that you think have standalone value on their own, right? But if the guy in front of the quote unquote number two back goes down, then that number two back suddenly becomes a possible league winner. A great example is in Cleveland, where you have Isaiah Crowell, who in his own right is a fantasy producer, but also Duke Johnson has standalone value as a satellite back playing a slot role. So you know you're going to get fantasy points from both, but if Isaiah Crowell gets suspended or gets hurt, Duke Johnson suddenly is a top 10 back in the NFL behind one of the best run-blocking units that no one talks about. Well, I, you know, when, when Jonathan Williams got cut, I said, you know, the handcuff thing, it just drives me nuts, especially when you draft somebody else's handcuff, because you're especially you're essentially wasting a roster spot, hoping that somebody on another team gets hurt. And that really, that to me is one of the worst things you can do in fantasy. But handcuffing, I, maybe this is a semantics argument. That to me is I'm having Jonathan Williams on my roster. Or I have James Conner on my roster. And I'm understanding that that guy is worthless unless somebody gets hurt or suspended or something happens. This is different. And I right. think already you're seeing the dividends for people who did this with Spencer Ware and Kareem Hunt. You're probably not even sweating that you lost Spencer Ware because now you don't even have a roster decision. You don't have a lineup decision to make. You plug in Kareem Hunt and you know you're good to go. 
Right, yeah, Kareem Hunt was Marlon Mack and Alvin Kamara before Alvin Kamara and Marlon Mack. I mean, that's what we're yeah. talking about. The guy that was going to operate as a satellite back in an Andy Reid, RB-focused passing attack anyway. So you knew there was standalone value there, but because he weighs 215 pounds and he operated in a bell cow role at Toledo, you knew he could be thrust into an every-down role should something happen to Spencer Ware. That's the satellite back plus play in action perfect illustrated by Kareem Hunt. So in New England, you could argue that there's three guys. You could draft Gillisley, who I'm not drafting at all because he became way too expensive. His ADP was a helium balloon in August. So I'm scratching Gillisley off the list, but I'm still drafting multiple guys because I still like James White in a standalone role. And I like Rex Burkhead as simply the best running back on the best team in the NFL. I mean, isn't that a good thing to have on your roster? The best guy on the best team in a particular role? I mean, right? I mean, right? I I, uh, I hope so because I have drafted an absolute ass ton of Rex Burkhead in the last <laughs> week. I, I mean, like, I, I have really started to buy in. First of all, I kind of agree with you on Gillisley. I got him in a couple MFL 10s when he in that little window where he was dealing with the hamstring in the seventh round, right? Like the yeah. seventh round when he was dealing with the hamstring and his ADP was falling, but basically he inherited the ADP that LeGarrette Blunt would have had if LeGarrette Blunt stayed in new England. Yeah. And I mean, LeGarrette Blunt scored 18 touchdowns last year. Is that Gillis Lee's ceiling? Sure. But I'm not betting on a guy to score 18 touchdowns. I'm taking the under on that every time. I, I remember a few years ago, uh, um, actually, I think Andy Reid was still in Philly. LaShawn McCoy was coming off a 20-touchdown season, and he didn't have the yeah. extreme volume of, of a lot of other guys. And uh, he was going as the number one pick, and I'm like, look, if I'm betting, I'm taking the under on 20 touchdowns all the time. And I think he ended up scoring five touchdowns that year. It's just the way the ball bounces, and that's why I like Burkhead. Burkhead, to me, if Gillisley goes down, he's the best replacement for Gillisley. If James White goes down, he's the best replacement for James White. If both of them go down, you might have a guy getting 65, 70% of the snaps. Or if the Patriots just deduce, you know what, this is a week, we need to keep the defense on its toes, and we need them to not really know if we're going to run the ball or we're going to pass the ball, and they decide Burkhead's their best back that week, he could get 75% of the snaps that week. Burkhead, to me, he's a 10th round pick, so I, I don't have delusions here. But if things break right, that guy's a league winner. Look what he did down the stretch in Cincinnati last year when he got an opportunity. 20, 25 PPR points. We have league winning potential here, and the guy is dirt cheap. Yeah, he's available in the double-digit rounds, and he is the quintessential league-winning running back. I mean, the guy that wrote the original 0RB piece for Rotoviz, Sean Siegel, came onto the show two weeks ago, and he said the one running back I'm targeting above all others in the double-digit rounds is Rex Burkhead, and it's not even close. Oh, that makes me feel so happy. There is a wide margin between my affinity for Rex Burkhead late and every other late-round running back so much so that I'm willing to pay one, two, three, four rounds premium in a draft room to get my hands on Rex Burkhead because I was in an expert draft with Sean Siegel. He's drafting Rex Burkhead in round nine. 
And I'm like, wow, that's as early as I've ever seen Rex Burkhead get drafted. And I asked him about it on the podcast the next week. And he just said, well, no one's getting him but me. I am going to make sure I'm getting this guy because I think he has standalone value. He's not a handcuff, but he's also the Swiss Army knife guy. And that Mm -hmm. if anything happens to any running back, all of a sudden the touches get shifted and tilt toward Rex Burkhead. If you assume RB fragility is real, and it is real, the running back position is as injury prone as any position in the league. Tight ends are actually injured at a slightly higher rate than running backs, but both are injured at a very high rate. So RB fragility is real in terms of injury. RB fragility is also real in terms of failed projections, where running backs just don't perform as we expect them to perform year to year. And if you assume any kind of fragility in that New England backfield, the winner always, every time, is Rex Burkhead. So he is just simply the beneficiary of all the volatility that you're going to see in that backfield. It's all going to flow. The touches will flow towards Rex Burkhead. So I just wish I had more of him. I wish I was as aggressive as Sean Siegel. I wish I could see the full chessboard like Sean Siegel can and like Joe Dolan can. But lately, in my late drafts, the last couple of weeks, I've been making sure I lock in as much Rex Burkhead as possible. So we've talked about some players that we love, that just intrinsically we know, hey, okay, this guy's a good football player. I want as much of this guy on my team as I possibly can get. But sometimes you're in a draft and a guy that you don't think is very good falls to you, like LeGarrette Blunt last year in the 12th round, right? Yep. So this year for me, the LeGarrette Blunt of 2017 drafts is Kelvin Benjamin because I understand he's not quote-unquote good at football and never will be. But when the guy's falling to you in the sixth round and you know he's the preeminent number one option at the wide receiver position for a team that will be passing the ball frequently, we saw that, they signaled that with the Christian McCaffrey draft pick, and you just know this is a rebound year coming from Cam Newton. I mean, everyone can see this coming from a mile away. The Cam Newton rebound year is just palpable at this point. It's one of the more obvious, self-evident phenomenons that we see coming in all of fantasy football. So when you start to think through it, wow, Kelvin Benjamin has to be drafted. So I'm actually finding myself drafting him because... I've just learned too many lessons over the years, like what you learned with LeGarrette Blunt. So what's a great example of a guy that you're drafting this year and you're closing your eyes as you're clicking the draft player button? It's Rob Kelly. And I know, I mean, he's obviously, you're related to him. We know that. <laughs> right. Yes. My brother. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, Like this is a guy who, I mean, we all wrote him off last year, right? You saw the measurables. The, he's like a second percentile athlete. Like, yeah. and I, I don't think I'm exaggerating. No, it's bad. It's low. I can look it up. It's very low. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. It's, I can't believe it. Rob Kelly, his Spark X score on playerprofiler.com is 86.5, second percentile. And a, across the board, from 40 time, burst, agility, even bench press, he doesn't exceed the 20th percentile in any individual workout metric. I mean, that's like me. Like, like if he's a second percentile athlete, I'd like to think, all right, I'm around there somewhere. Well, he's a fullback, but most fullbacks weigh 240 pounds. He's 225. So he's like a very small fullback that somehow made it in the league. It's fascinating. And he didn't even produce in college. Like he was like. (laughs) <laughs> in his last year in college, he was like the fourth leading rusher on a three and nine Tulane team. 
That's right. It's unbelievable. And like, like last year, like I remember everybody's like, you know how it goes. You, you, you see this guy and he's making buzz in camp and people are putting his name in quotes. Like, like, I don't believe this guy legitimately exists. And then all of a sudden they draft Samaj P. Ryan. Hey, you know, Samaj P. Ryan's not Bo Jackson, but athletically he looks like him compared to Rob Kelly. And I like Samaj P. Ryan coming out of Oklahoma. And hey, I'm guilty of this. As soon as they drafted P. Ryan, I'm projecting him ahead of Rob Kelly. Well, that doesn't take into account camps and 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 training camp and the preseason. All of a sudden, Samaje P. Ryan, it is so obvious he falls far behind Rob Kelly. And if you're somebody like me. Yeah, the the distance is wide now. Yeah, it's. And now I'm not saying by like week eight, P. Ryan can't be ahead of him, but you have to play those seven weeks. Yeah, like, you know. Yeah, you want to win the first seven weeks? <laughs> and if you like, and if you drop Rob Kelly because ah, he gave me three good weeks and now he's not playing anymore. Well, he still gave you three good weeks. And so he's a guy who's like eighth, ninth round pick, who's a starting running back on an offense. All right, might take a step or two back, at least initially, but he's still the starting running back for Washington, a team that was really good offensively last year. He was a useful fantasy player. You're not getting any delusions about him. You're not saying he's a league winner, but this is somebody I can plug in if I'm going really cheap at running back as my number two or a number three. And if he keeps it up, maybe he plays the whole season. I don't know that. We don't know. What's interesting about Rob Kelly is quietly a very productive receiver out of the backfield. I mean, it gets stranger and stranger. I mean, this is such a conundrum profile. There are very few profiles on playerprofiler.com that are as perplexing for me as Rob Kelly because he looks like a small fullback, and then you see the college target share, and it's 11.2%, and you realize, oh, wow, he was a featured option in the passing game (laughs) with this. And you overlook that level of athleticism, so he's not electric in space. He must have great hands and great route running prowess, and that's what we're finding. So actually, it's conceivable, Joe. I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this. It's conceivable that Washington decides that Rob Kelly is going to be their bell cow back, and actually Rob Kelly cannibalizes some Chris Thompson touches. I mean, that could actually happen this year. And then you're looking at a full-blown bell cow back in one of the league's signature prolific offenses the last couple years very few teams have fewer red zone visits than washington and they've upgraded their weaponry yes i would say that they've upgraded their weaponry when you go from deshaun jackson and pierre garçon to terrell Pryor and josh doxson assuming josh doxson's healthy crossing my fingers on doxson by the way I'm assuming those guys are at least better in the red zone. You could say that there's very few players out there that are as good as Deshaun Jackson at the wide receiver position because Deshaun Jackson does that thing that's so rare in that he makes the other receivers around him better without commanding a huge target share. Such a rare skill set and so valuable to a franchise in Deshaun Jackson. So I I get it. I agree with that. But the problem that Washington had last year, and it's reflected in Kirk Cousins' red zone completion percentage, once they got into the red zone, uh uh-oh, no one to throw it to, no one over six foot tall. Now they've got Terrell Pryor. Now they've got Josh Doxson. So I think things will open up. 
and actually may keep defenses away from Pirine and thinking more about stopping the pterodactyls on the outside, all of a sudden, there's another goal line carry for Rob Kelly. Oh, another red zone carry for Rob Kelly. Oh, there's a red zone reception. Oh, Rob Kelly on the outside. I'm calling it on Sirius XM in place of Joe Dolan. Oh, Rob Kelly catches a swing pass on the five. Rob Kelly diving on the pylon. Touchdown, Rob Kelly again! Rob Kelly, his second touchdown on the day. Fantasy owners who drafted Rob Kelly in the ninth round, who learned their lesson from LeGarrette Blunt the year before, have been rewarded. There's Joe Dolan spinning around on his chair. I'm taking Sunday off. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. That sounds like a fun Sunday. I'm already excited about Rob Kelly touchdowns at all phases. I'm loving life. Oh. If you're a Jets fan, you're not loving life. Oh, no. <laughs> if you're a Jets fan, you're dreading Sunday. You're just getting through it. It's like a work day for Jets fans. But I'm starting to get excited about a couple players on this Jets roster in fantasy very late and in DFS slates this week against Buffalo. Are you drafting any Jets? Are there any Jets that you would play in DFS? Is there anyone on the Jets that generates a tinge of excitement in Joe Dolan? I mean, I'm not going to say anything revolutionary here, but Bilal Pal. Um, and, and then, you know, I did an auction draft last week with a bunch of buddies, and I was going, like I said, that pseudo zero RB where you plan on spending for one guy and then the rest of the guys you're, you're trying to spend like 20 bucks combined to fill out the rest of your roster and I'm like you know right that's the new zero RB this year yeah zero RB is out it's now pseudo zero RB where you're taking Ty Montgomery and building around a guy like that or Dalvin Cook third or fourth yeah. round Dalvin Cook Ty Montgomery I agree with that I love zero RB, but I am not finding myself actually implementing it in many drafts. And it sounds like you have the same perspective. You have the same disposition. Yeah, yeah, because I want to get one I feel good about. And then I really think I can mix and match. Once again, it's, 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 it's trying to, it's trying to reduce your, it's trying to reduce the lineup decisions that you have to make. Because once again, not only are we imperfect, as you were saying, in terms of drafting, but we're even worse in terms of making lineup decisions. Okay. So I'm like, Great point. Great point. So I'm I'm thinking, all right, if I spend 25 bucks at an auction on Ty Montgomery and I put him in my lineup, well, I'm not going to kick myself in the ass for playing Ty Montgomery on Sunday, even if he goes for eight points. Because I'm like, all right, I have Ty Montgomery. It was a good matchup. He plays for the Packers. I'm not going to get mad about myself playing him if he had a bad game. So like that, that's kind of reducing that. And I think I'm going to be able to find that number two running back. And so I was actually viewing Bilal Powell as kind of that guy, the number right. two running back that I could get. And then I'm in this auction draft and I, and I bring up Bilal Powell. It's, it's later in the draft. He was way down the board. Oh, and I'm no. like, all right, oh, I'm going to no. be able to get this guy for like seven or eight bucks. There's a bidding war for Bilal Powell. This is amazing. I can't believe we're here. The 28-year-old Jet Bilal Powell with sub-athleticism. This is a great story, man. Yeah. This is a great <laughs> underdog story in the NFL. Bilal Powell's fantasy stock. I bet you Bilal Powell has no idea. I bet you Bilal Powell does not appreciate. His family does not appreciate. His mother does not appreciate. No one around Bilal Powell appreciates the affinity that we all now have for Bilal Powell. I think if his family understood how much we all love Bilal Powell, it would make them so happy. Yeah, or either that or really weirded out. Or weirded out, like, really, guys? Like, we like him, he's our son, but really? <laughs> but, like, so I'm there and I'm bidding and I'm like, 
it's 15 bucks and 16 bucks. I'm like, all right, what the hell am I doing here? This is blow pal. And then I, I finally pulled back and then he went for like 22 and I'm like, all right, what? I'll let somebody like, it was, it was one of those last running backs in an auction where like everybody had their eyes on him. But like, I was like, I'm pulling back here. But I mean, Matt, would you be shocked if Bilal Powell was, I mean, top five is easy to say, like top three in opportunity percentage at the running back spot this year? I mean, what else do they have? Yeah, we have to see what happens with Matt Forte. If Matt Forte can't play, if Matt Forte's out with another knee injury or another high ankle sprain, he's very, 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 very close to the end. And there's no one else on the roster. I mean, they let Brandon Wilds go. They have Elijah McGuire. I mean, I'm drafting Elijah McGuire in deep dynasty leagues because that RB depth chart is so thin. But if the RB depth chart is that thin... He actually kind of looks like Powell. That guarantees an 80% opportunity share... For Bilal Powell, he could get a Melvin Gordon opportunity share from 2016 post Danny Woodhead if there is no Matt Forte at points this season. Yeah, that's amazing, and that's why you're you're drafting him. It's a guy that seemingly has very little upside that actually has a lot of upside. And you saw it last year. This isn't projecting when Forte was out last year over like the final four weeks of the season. Powell's like a top three PPR back. Amazing. So. Amazing. And they were bad last year. They weren't as bad as they're going to be this year, but they were bad. Yeah, it's going to be dump off City to Powell. And he was top three in the league among running backs in targets last season. There's no reason to think he might, I don't know, I mean, I... Is, can I say this? Can I can I say this? That it's possible that Bilal Powell could hit 100 targets? I mean, it's... Oh, absolutely. It sounds crazy to say Bilal Powell 100 targets in the same sentence, but it's possible. I'm looking at the numbers. It's very possible. Especially if the corpse of McCown manages to, like, stay on the field. Please. Please, Josh, for all of us. Like, when he was the quarterback in Cleveland, and when he was actually healthy, Duke Johnson's usage in the passing game was way over where it was when they had the other guys in there. That's right. That's a great point. That's right. We have to make sure that Josh McCown does not scramble out of the pocket. Never leave the pocket, Josh. Never. He needs to be Eli Manning. If a defender comes anywhere close to him around the edge, just fall down. Just fall down, Josh. Fantasy points are at stake, Josh. Do not leave the pocket. Fall down. If that and Bilal Powell. I mean, what? When is his? Where's his price going to go at, for the first five six weeks of the season on DFS? It's going up. And this is where I think he's actually kind of the most appealing. Right now, he's fifty. He's forty nine hundred on DraftKings right now for this week against Buffalo. He's cheaper than Eddie Lacy and Jonathan Stewart. Wow. So, I mean, you're looking at a guy here against Buffalo, a team that's that's dismantling, but I think their defense is still at least functional. I mean, Bilal Powell, though, if Josh McCown's in there, 4,900, I'll put him in my lineup, especially especially if I'm trying to create some variance between all the people using Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson in those awesome matchups this week. Oh, they love the Johnson-Bell stack in DFS. That's a... That's a thing this year. It was a thing last year. Let's talk about tight ends quickly. They've been neglected. I'm sorry to the tight ends. We typically talk about tight ends a little bit more, but I want to talk about tight ends briefly. Give me the guy you drafted in the later rounds at tight end if you didn't get a Rudolph. 
and also a guy you're looking at this week in DFS at tight end. Okay, well, first and foremost, the guy I drafted in a ton of leagues, not not saying I, I, I didn't get this guy as a starter. The guy who I, I, I kind of like as a, as a starter this year, at least early, is Austin Hooper, but I feel like that's kind of cheating. The guy I've gotten in more leagues than anybody. Why is that cheating? Well, simply because I think he's like a consensus, like top 15 to 20 tight end in the industry. He's an incredible play this week. I think he's yes. $3,000 on DraftKings. Oh, he's, he's a great play. He's incredibly inexpensive. He's a great lineup maker tight end. He was my DraftKings guy. But do you know what guy I'm drafting a ton as, a, as like kind of a second tight end in deeper leagues? Let me guess. 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 Okay. Using this principle that we've been talking about, the LeGarrette Blunt, Bilal Powell, Rob Kelly principle, chasing opportunity on a bad team, I will go Charles Clay. No, actually. But I get it. George okay. Kittle. Oh, okay. Sweet. Good athletic prospect. You think? No, a great athlete. Good Good is underrating him. Yeah, he's great. Of course, he played in that boring Iowa offense, but they do use their tight ends. They traded Vance McDonald. This guy might be their starting tight end in San Francisco. Not in week one. They're going to go Garrett Selleck because we know how NFL teams do this. They're so risk averse. We can't play a rookie in week one. We can't do it. We're all competing for a job. We can't play the rookie in week one. We have a veteran. He's put his time in. You know, we're going to reward the veteran. You know, we have a hierarchy on this team. And then in week two, uh oh, there's George Kettle. And the great athlete, um, I think he can at least be kind of a red zone threat. And Brian Hoyer looked competent in the preseason. Probably a little bit better than that, but I don't want to overreact to Brian Hoyer in the preseason. I mean, I I wouldn't be stunned to see Kittle have like a 50-catch, seven-touchdown season. And I know rookie tight ends are notoriously difficult, but this, it really does seem that that Shanahan is operating a meritocracy there. And and I think you need to give a lot a little bit of credit to that because a lot of NFL teams don't run as a meritocracy. Well, that's a great point. The first year that the coach arrives, they're not loyal to any previous picks. And also to win the locker room, you implement a meritocracy. I like that thinking. I think that's right. They, they're not even loyal to their own picks. They phantom IR Joe Williams because he was struggling in the preseason. Mm -hmm. They kept two UDFAs behind Carlos Hyde. Matt Breida and Raheem Mostert. So you're you're keeping two guys over a guy you drafted in the fourth round. So that tells me right now, mm. all right, we're going to go with the guys who played the best. Kittle looked good in the preseason. Yeah. All the reports are that they love the guy. And I'm going to I, – I maybe I'm nuts, but I'm buying into this 49er offense. Yeah, there's no reason not to buy George Kittle. Who's the second receiver? Is it Marquise Goodwin? Because they let Jeremy Curley go. So mm -hmm. by letting Jeremy Curley go, there's another receiver that would have operated in the short and intermediate routes that's gone. There's no more Bruce Ellington either. So you start to do process of elimination, and the tight end is going to receive copious targets on the Browns. Remember, who elevated Jordan Cameron to fantasy viable status? It was Brian Hoyer, who has a profile that looks Strikingly similar to Jordan Cameron. George, George Kittle. Kittle. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, so let's focus on week one. Who's the player the community seems to love that you want no part of in week one? Well, uh, is in general, 
I, I'm going to say Des Bryant because the community is coming around on Des Bryant. Like, I think he was a, a guy. Forgive me for forgetting who wrote the piece on him a couple weeks ago that, uh, hey, everybody's forgetting about him and kind of ignoring him in the second round. And I'm buying. But, man, Des Bryant, Dak Prescott, I want nothing to do with these guys week one in DFS. The giant defense really made life hell for those players. And, and whether Zeke plays this week or not. I don't think this is a really good matchup at all for Dallas's offense in week one. No, it's not a good matchup. I'm off Des Bryant this week. This is the week to play Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley was productive in both games against the Giants last year, vastly outproducing Des Bryant. And Janoris Jenkins was one of the top cornerbacks in the league by all the efficiency metrics. Playerprofiler.com, we have cornerback pages, coverage rating, Pass breakups per target, target rate. We have some incredible cornerback metrics measuring efficiency. And by all of these efficiency metrics on playerprofiler.com, there was Janoris Jenkins. We identified Janoris Jenkins and A.J. Boye last year as early season cornerbacks that were exceeding expectations. And then they carried it out the whole season and they both finished in the top five. So I'm off Des Bryant and I'm absolutely on Cole Beasley because they will have to throw against the Giants. It could be a high scoring game, but that means potentially a 10 target game for Cole Beasley. So I'm all over Cole Beasley, more three receiver sets, more competitive game. Cole Beasley's 4,700 on DraftKings. So I'm getting Cole Beasley in a lot of DraftKings lines lineups this week so which player are you starting in week one that most fantasy gamers just think hey you're you're crazy joe not this week not this player not this week who's that guy for you well it was going to be rex burkhead but we talked about him extensively because hey i'm putting my money where my mouth is on rex burkhead i'm going to say i think this guy's got an opportunity to get uh to have a really big week but has everyone matt forgotten about richard matthews Yes. I mean, like, the guy's like a 10th, 11th round pick. He was their best receiver last year. Decker was banged up. Corey, Corey Davis obviously banged up. Corey Davis is beyond banged up. This could be a yeah. lost season for Corey Davis. And uh, it's been on an unfortunate trend for rookie wide receivers in recent years That's with right. the injuries. Rashard right. Matthews, I'm looking at Matt here. He is the same price on DraftKings this week as Muhammad Sanu and Kevin White. Get out of here. What the hell has Kevin White done to earn being the same price as Rashard Matthews on draft? 4200 against an Oakland secondary that looked miserable in the preseason. This team just looked defensively. They looked bad. And that's why I started to buy into Derek Carr a little bit more because I think they're going to have to throw the ball all over the damn field. Be- like right. Rashard Matthews. If- they're playing Oakland. Oakland secondary is horrendous. Oh my God, he's cheap. He is eight hundred bucks cheaper than Eric Decker. There's no reason Eric Decker should be eight hundred dollars more than than Rashard Matthews at this point. That's a pricing error, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a mispricement. I know it's not a word, but I've made that up. And and if you drafted him in the eleventh, twelfth round as like your fifth receiver, I'd highly consider putting him in one of your top three slots this week. Absolutely, Rashard Matthews being compared to Kevin White is. Just a beautiful comparison. It's such a it is apropos dichotomy because they are exactly opposites. One guy drafted in the early first round, one guy drafted at the end of the seventh round. One guy drafted because of his athleticism, another guy drafted only because of his production at Nevada. One guy has only been incredibly efficient when given opportunity. 
The other guy has been given opportunity despite inefficiency. So Rashard Matthews is absolutely the opposite in every way of Kevin White. So if there was a Kevin White opposite world, and that's my location on Twitter, by the way. If you go to Twitter, <laughs> my location is Kevin White opposite world. In opposite world, the president is Rashard Matthews. He's the president. He's on Air Force One right now somewhere in opposite world. So congratulations, Rashard Matthews. They're also an incredible value on DraftKings in week one. Because why? Because fantasy gamers are stubborn. They love not appreciating good football players, and they love overrating bad football players, sometimes three, four years into the experiment. So who's the best value other than Rashard Matthews? Maybe look at running back. Maybe look okay. at quarterback. Other than Rashard Matthews, who's your best value play this week in DFS? Oh, and here's a guy I love using. Darren Sproles. Ah. 3,900. All right. So I know they kept five running backs in Philly. But the only reason they kept five running backs is uh, we had an off-air discussion about draft capital. Philly just couldn't bear to cut bait with Donnell Pumphrey after a bad preseason. They're just like, oh, we just can't do it. And eat the sunk cost, Philadelphia. Get your head out of your ass. Like their UDFA running back, Corey Clement, who they also kept, was better than Pumphrey in oh, the preseason. Yeah. So um, th they did keep five running backs, but Blunt struggled. Wendell Smallwood had injury problems. And I do feel pretty good about Wendell Smallwood. He's a guy I've been drafting in zero RB drafts because I, I wonder if he can lead them in rushing. But they kept Darren Sproles, Matt, in bubble paper the entire preseason. He didn't see a snap. He doesn't need to see a snap. He's 34 years old. All the insinuations are that he's heading into his last year in the NFL. I think he's going to have a big role. And I'm not saying he's going to play 70% of the snaps, but I think Darren Sproles at 3,900. Look at some of the names he's around. Mm -mm. He's the same price as Mac Brown. Mm -mm. He's the same price mm -mm. as Rod Smith. He's the same price as Charles Sims, TJ Yeldon, Chris Johnson, who got cut, is the same price. Didn't we just talk about Rob Kelly being an integral part of a high-octane Washington offense that's guaranteed to visit the red zone frequently this year? Didn't we just talk about Washington? And isn't Philadelphia playing Washington this week? Yep. So what am I missing here with Darren Sproles? I don't know. 3900 though. Same price as Jeremy Langford, who just signed with the Ravens practice squad. <laughs> right, right, I mean, right, right. Oh, my God. He's cheaper than Fitzgerald Toussaint. <laughs> like, I'm just going through here. $3,900. That's a free flex play, in my opinion. Maybe not, like, GPPs, if he busts off a long touchdown, he's paying off. Oh, yeah, he's paying off in all formats. You could play him in a cash game on DraftKings, not on FanDuel, because DraftKings is full PPR. You yeah. could absolutely roster Darren Sproles in flex. We're trying to find the inexpensive flex plays on DraftKings to afford David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell. So why not Darren Sproles? And he's fun. He's fun to have on your team. Isn't he fun? Yeah, he's just fun to root for. Darren Sproles is not Frank Gore, okay? These are different players. Frank Gore has never really been that fun to have on your team. He's a between-the-tackles grinder. He's not active in the passing game. Hasn't been for many, 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 many years. So this isn't a fun player. But Darren Sproles has always been fun. He's always been electric in space. Whenever the ball lands in his hands... The hairs on the back of your neck always stand up a little bit. You always feel that tingle. What's going to happen? What's he going to do? That's a fun player to own. Mm -hmm. And now he's 
as expensive as Fitzgerald Toussaint, and he's playing Washington. It could be a high-scoring game that could be going up and down the field. That means lots of snaps and touches for Darren Sproles. Didn't they just get rid of Jordan Matthews, their slot receiver? Who are they going to play in the slot? I mean, this is all coming together this week for Darren Sproles. I've rarely agreed with anyone more than your opinion of Darren Sproles for week one. Now, final question. I get you out of here on this. This is the standard Roto Underworld radio question. Who is this year's Adam Thielen? Dig deep, Joe. That one wide receiver who's been in the league for years that you qualify for truther status on. Oh, my God. This year's – so, the the, (laughs) – well – I mean, we're, I mean, he's been on practice squads. Maybe he was undrafted. Yeah. He's been underappreciated, but he's just hung around. He's hung around, and no one's releasing him. He continues to find a role, maybe on special teams. Who knows? Just a guy that's continued to hang around rosters, and you've always thought he had an intriguing profile. Okay, so there's. I'm going to give you two answers. One, because there's no way I'm going to draft one of these guys for fantasy. No, you're not drafting them, but it's just that you 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 just are aware of them, and you're very excited if something breaks right for them. All right, so the guy I am definitely the biggest truther on, but would never consider him for fantasy, is Tavon Austin. I would love to see him on a better team. Nice. I would just love to see him with the, with the Patriots, see what he could do. Maybe right. even like the Chargers, like something like that. Yeah. But the guy I'm drafting who I'm a truther on this year that I think the fantasy community has kind of started to buy into just a little bit recently is Marquise Goodwin. Uh, Ah. Joe Fan, who is a writer for the 49ers official website, I I, I was tipped off to this a a month ago when he said in in training camp, he goes, man, if I played fantasy, I'd want somebody who's going to be on the field all the time. In Kyle Shanahan's offense, and that's Marquise Goodwin. And, and Matt, I don't need to explain to you the profile here. The guy's like an Olympic-level sprinter. Oh, but it's athleticism across the board. It's not just, oh, 40 time. He has great burst and agility. There's nothing not to like with Marquise Goodwin, except that he hasn't played football full-time. He didn't dedicate himself to the craft until very late in the game once his sprinting career was over. And now that he's dedicated himself to the craft, he's best comparable to Santana Moss on playerprofiler.com, and that's not surprising. It's also not surprising that once a guy that's that level of athlete that has that skill set devotes himself to his craft full-time, that his stock rises that he gets appreciated, that he wins a roster spot. Not only that, he could be a starter in San Francisco. What's not to like about a guy that's going to be running routes on the outside on a team that will be losing a lot? They're going to have to throw the ball up a lot. <laughs> it's going to land in his hands a lot. And he's going to run for a touchdown in multiple, multiple occasions. So best ball leagues, Marquise Goodwin's great. But in general, I like guys like that that have been in the league for a while. He's 26 years old. He's still technically in his prime. And you can rationalize away the lack of productivity early in his career. Yes, you can. And, and injuries, uh, look, I, I understand that's a problem. But my, my response to people who say Marquise Goodwin, really? Ask players in deep fantasy leagues last year. Ask DFS players how much they like Taylor Gabriel. I was just going to say, you stole my answer. I was going to say Taylor Gabriel. I was going to, my next thought was, isn't he Taylor Gabriel? Didn't we like Taylor Gabriel at times last year? Didn't Taylor Gabriel have some sneaky uh, DFS weeks that you could see coming a mile yeah. away last year. Didn't that happen? Money winning weeks for, from him. So, yeah, I'm not telling you the guy's going to be a top 15 receiver, but this is a guy who has a real role in an offense that we know works with a quarterback who looked competent in the preseason. 
I'll take him as my sixth receiver, and don't be surprised if down the line you're thinking of paying $3,500 for him on DraftKings because his price isn't going to go much higher than that. Week 8, Green Bay, 15.8 fantasy points. Week 9, Tampa Bay, 18.6 fantasy points. Week 10, Philadelphia, 14.6 fantasy points. Week 12, Arizona, 26.2 fantasy points. There was a swath of four weeks where Taylor Gabriel was giving you at least 15 fantasy points per week. He scored five touchdowns during that span. Long touchdowns. He never exceeded five targets, but he was scoring a touchdown every game during that span. Look for that. Look for Marquise Goodwin to give you a swath of games just like Taylor Gabriel this season. I am excited. Excited for it. I can't wait. And they got a target hound opposite him in Pierre Garçon, who's going to command attention. And look, if you're playing cheap guys on DFS, this is a guy who all he has to do is make one catch to reach value for you. I think that's what I actually think that's what Gabriel did against Philly last year. One catch and you reach value. When the DFS elders were sitting down to create a, a glossary of terms the prototypical GPP flyer, they put a picture of Marquise Goodwin. I mean, Marquise Goodwin is that guy. No one better defines the idea of the high upside GPP flyer than Marquise Goodwin. When you see someone write on Twitter in a GPP, they're talking about players that look like Marquise Goodwin, but don't quite have Marquise Goodwin's upside or value. The upside bang for the buck on Marquise Goodwin is as high as any wide receiver in DFS this week and probably for the next couple weeks. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm actually excited to watch San Francisco. I remember the San Francisco aesthetic, the uniforms, Candlestick, Steve Young to Jerry Rice, Steve Young to Terrell Owens, even guys like Ricky Waters. I remember those games in the late 80s and early 90s. I want that franchise to be good. I'm happy to see this franchise start the engine, incrementally improve the roster. Uh, This is, I mean, these 49ers... Look, Brian Hoyer's not going to be their quarterback next year, but I think he can do enough to get fantasy relevance out of this team. I even started buying Carlos Hyde late. Like, when this, once it became evident they didn't want anything to do with Joe Williams, that Bryda was going to be their top backup, Carlos Hyde was somebody I was buying late. And when they let Tim Hightower go. Yeah, Tim Hightower. So they're letting Tim Hightower go, and they're parking Joe Williams on the IR. Then you knew, oh, wow, wait a second. So let me do the math here. This is an 80% opportunity share every week for Carlos Hyde. Juszczyk's catching 60 passes, by the way. Oh, Juszczyk! I always forget about Juszczyk! I adore Kyle Juszczyk. Oh, he's catching 60 balls. That, that's a given. He might carry the ball six times. Yeah, He's a satellite back. He's going to be the biggest satellite back in the league. He could be their slot receiver for all we know. I love it. I love the 250-pound satellite back. Oh, nothing would make me happier than Kyle Juszczyk operating as the San Francisco 49ers theoretic. It's going to happen, so get used to it. I can't wait. That's this week. NFL starting this week. This is week one. We don't have to wait any longer, Joe. It's going to happen. It is use check time. It's here. That's it. We're, we're, we're ready to go. I've got, I mean, I'm, I got a crunch on the matchups here. I've actually gotten behind. Like, I, I usually try to stay in preseason mode as long as possible. I don't take week one questions from people until, like, Thursday of week one. But, man, I really got to start crunching. I'm, I'm excited. This is going to be fun.
It's Rob Kelly. And I know, I mean, he's obviously, you're related to him. We know that. <laughs> right, yes. My brother, yes. <laughs> yeah, um... <laughs> yeah, um... I mean, that's like me. <laughs> like... like I, I like if he's a second percentile athlete. I'd like to think. All right, I'm around there somewhere. Oh, there's a red zone reception. Oh, Rob Kelly on the outside. I'm calling it on Sirius XM in place of Joe Dolan. Oh, Rob Kelly catches a swing pass on the five. Rob Kelly diving on the pylon. Touchdown, Rob Kelly again. Rob Kelly, his second touchdown on the day. Fantasy owners who drafted Rob Kelly in the ninth round, who learned their lesson from LeGarrette Blunt the year before, have been rewarded. There's Joe Dolan spinning around on his chair. I'm taking Sunday off. <laughs> Thank you. Tell my wife. This is amazing. I can't believe we're here. The 28-year-old Jet Bilal Powell with sub-athleticism this is a great story, man. This is a great underdog story in the NFL. Bilal Powell's fantasy stock. I bet you Bilal Powell has no idea. I bet you Bilal Powell does not appreciate. His family does not appreciate. His mother does not appreciate. No one around Bilal Powell appreciates the affinity that we all now have for Bilal Powell. I think if his family understood how much we all love Bilal Powell, it would make them so happy. Yeah, or either that or really weird it out. <laughs> just, just, just draft them. You, you just draft them. What the hell am I doing here? This is Bilal Powell. And then I, I finally pulled back, and then he went for like 22, and I'm like, all right. If you go to Twitter, my location is Kevin White Opposite World. In Opposite World, the president is Richard Matthews. Eat the sunk cost, Philadelphia. Get your head out of your ass. And he's fun. He's fun to have on your team. I adore Kyle Juszczyk. You know, of all the things that this society needs, guy that keeps podcast host whose avatar is a werewolf drinking a martini. <laughs> yes, that's perfect. We needed someone to step up and be that guy for the community, for society. Thank you, accountability buzzard, for remembering that I was wrong about a guy six months ago. Thank you. Let me take a quick peek at the DraftKings prices here. Yeah, sorry. I, I like Jeremy McNichols. Didn't work out. Yeah. Didn't work out yet. Didn't work out early for Fred Jackson either. Where was Mike Gillisley three years ago? Yeah, he washed out in Miami. Wow, that was a bad... can't believe I just did. That was an accident. Washed out in Miami. That... I'm sorry. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Yikes. We're already, what, we're three minutes in, and I'm making huge errors that could get me fired if I had a boss. I was actually supposed to interview JHI this morning, but they canceled. I'm assuming this had something to do with it. Oh, yeah. Well, I would love to talk to JHI because he has the British accent. Yes, exactly. It was like an NFL player with a British accent. JHI. Jablon Lames. That's a terrible one. Yeah, Jablon Lames. Yeah. That's a terrible one. Janoris Jenkins on Dez, and he shut him down last year. Cole Beasley ripped apart the Giants last year. So there's a nice CB wide receiver matchup story brewing in Dallas, and the thesis revolves around getting, you know, getting Beasley in there. The guys that live in layers, right? The guys that I imagine live in caves, but actually it's like a it's like a secret passcode and you open up the cave. And it's just like all electronics. You know, as soon as you walk in, 
I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Those DFS guys, they love playing wide receivers we all think are terrible. So I think Kendall Wright is that guy this week. Because I kept looking sideways, looking at the bids, going, yeah, okay, I think I'm good. You know, I think I got him. If anyone wants to, no, I'm not nominating him. Who's going to nominate him? And so they're like, well, wait, Martavis, why, why? <laughs> Who all of a sudden, Ted Ginn is now very useful. The guy in the computerized cave lair, he loves him some Kobe Fleener. Anyone but Brandon Coleman. Such a scarecrow, that guy. I'm out of shape, believe me. But even even when I was in high school and I weighed 175 pounds, I was slow. But I'm faster than Brandon Coleman. And he's fun. He's fun to have on your team. Attention Minions, we have a public service announcement. There will be a new show coming to Roto Underworld Radio as soon as tomorrow. The Big Tilt. That's right. A DFS-focused show called The Big Tilt. But it's not hosted by me. Why? Because I'm not very good at DFS. So I scoured the earth to find the guy. His name is Eric McClung. All he does is listen to sports radio, listen to Howard Stern, and listen to DFS podcasts. That's my kind of guy. And importantly, he sounds great on the radio. His personality is also more chill than mine, so it's a nice change-up on the Roto Underworld Radio feed. I'll be appearing on that show about once a month, so look forward to that. The Big Tilt coming very soon.